0: Howdy, folks. This is Jimmy Aiken of the Jimmy Aiken Podcast, and you're listening to Catholic Foodie. It slices, dices, and makes Julian fries.
1: This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 133 of the Catholic Foodie, Holy Week, the Eucharist, and the Sacramental Principle. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today... Today's Holy Thursday, so we're talking Holy Week. That's right, Holy Thursday. This evening, the Triduum begins with the Mass of the Lord's Supper. And I have to secretly confess that I often find myself more excited about tonight's celebration than I do about Easter. Now, don't get me wrong. Easter is the high point, right? It is the resurrection. It is the feast of feasts. But for reasons that you will hear later, I often experience Holy Thursday in a more real, intimate, and personal way than I do Easter, and I'll tell you all about that right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Sarah Reinhard joins us today also to talk about her experience of Holy Thursday, and uh, we also discuss her new book, Catholic Family Fun, A Guide for the Adventurous, Overwhelmed, Creative, or Clueless. Also, in this episode, I'm going to reach back into the archives of the Catholic Foodie way back to 2009. It was just a couple of days before Holy Thursday. In 2009, I had the privilege of recording an, uh, an interview with Dr. Brant Petrie. And so we are. I'm, I'm going to bring that to you here today, share that with you. I think it's very appropriate. We talk about the Eucharist and the uh, the biblical roots or the, the roots of the, the Eucharist in the Old Testament. And uh, we experienced that tonight with the, uh, the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to talk about this whole thing that I've mentioned from time to time called the sacramental principle, what that's all about, and why I think it's important, particularly when it comes to Holy Week. So, more on that in just a moment.
2: For love. love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sally. Yes, True love is the greatest thing in the world,
1: except for nice M.L.T. Mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and
0: lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that.
1: So Holy Thursday, right? What what is so special about Holy Thursday? Well, you know, the church sets up these seasons that we have, that we celebrate throughout the year. You have Advent, you have Lent, we have the Easter season. Uh, We also have Ordinary Time, but they do this for a reason, you know. Um, It's a very human thing. And again, that's where this whole sacramental principle comes into play. On Sunday, this past Sunday, we uh, celebrated Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, as it's referred to and uh you may recall i mean it's kind of a longer mass because they uh they read the entire account of the passion um from the time that jesus enters jerusalem until the time he is uh crucified and dies on the cross and it's a uh it it it's kind of an introduction and it um that's not a good word what is the word it 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 ushers us into this holiest of weeks holy week and why do we celebrate this? What is the what is the point? You know, Holy Thursday tonight the the it starts the the, the three holy days, the Triduum, and uh, it starts with this Mass of the Lord's Supper. Now we might think, what is the big deal? I mean, we we celebrate in the Catholic Church Mass every single day of the year except for Good Friday. Uh, so, uh, and and I guess you can say Holy Saturday as well. Uh, until the vigil, right on the the vigil, you will celebrate the Eucharist. But, um, what's the big deal? Why, why do we have this, uh, mass of the Lord's supper? Aren't they all the mass of the Lord's supper? And it's true. They are right. It's all, it's all, it's mass. We have mass every day. We celebrate the Eucharist every day, but on Holy Thursday, something special happens. Actually, several special things happen on Holy Thursday, uh, but one of them, and the thing I want to focus on right now is in the evening, usually 7 o'clock, they celebrate a special Mass. This is the, the mass called the Mass of the Lord's Supper, and it is a commemoration of the Last Supper. And it's special in many ways, right? We're talking about some of the highlights of that Mass. It highlights, first of all, Jesus instituting the Eucharist, but not not only the Eucharist, he also institutes something that's, that is very uh, necessary that goes along with the Eucharist, and that is the priesthood. So you have the institution of the priesthood and the institution of the Eucharist. They go hand in hand. You cannot have the Eucharist without the priesthood because the priest is designated by Christ, by Jesus, uh, to, to celebrate, to perform, to confect, to make real this sacrament of the Eucharist. And it's very interesting when you think about how all this happened cuz at the at the last supper you have the 12 apostles, right? Which Jesus commissions, he ordains them, they become apostles, they become bishops. He gives them the power. If you look back in scripture, we have all the seven sacraments, right? All the seven sacraments Jesus gives to the church, to the the, the ordained to his ordained ministers, he gives to them these uh seven sacraments. You can see that in Scripture, Jesus gives these sacraments, right, the the power to celebrate these sacraments to his apostles. And what happens is kind of like it it mirrors, if you look back in the Old Testament, it mirrors Moses and the authority that God had given Moses. And Moses then ordains um, 72 others and gives them some of the spirit that he received so that they could handle and administrate uh, some of the things that were going on, um, you know, back in the Old Testament. Well the same thing happens in the New Testament where we see in um in, in the Acts of the Apostles where the 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 bishops the apostles then go on to ordain other men and give them a share in this ministry that they receive from Jesus himself then you have the deacons and then later the the presbyters the priests right and then before they die the 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 bishops ordain other bishops to take their place as apostles and so you have this um uh Jesus, given this power to the church at the very beginning, and then the church itself in its ordained ministers and the bishops, handing on that power from generation to generation, even to today. And that's highlighted in this liturgy of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday. It's really a very beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, I don't really want to focus on that, though, from a theological standpoint, Right. You can go, I mean, Dr. Brand Petrie later on in the show, he'll talk about it from that standpoint, especially as it goes back to the Old Testament. You can see some of the roots of the Eucharist in the Old Testament. I don't want to focus on that right now. What really interests me as a um, as a foodie, I guess you'd say, um, <laughs> as the Catholic foodie, uh, what interests me is something called uh, the sacramental principle or the incarnational principle. Um, Sometimes people have used these these terms interchangeably, and I think uh, about a year or so ago, maybe even two years ago, I did discuss the sacramental principle, uh, not really in depth. I just kind of made reference to it and explained it kind of briefly. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that uh, that that blog post. It was in a blog post, and, I, and it was based on uh, a book I read several years ago by uh, uh, Father Oscar Lukefar and the book is called the privilege to be catholic and he talks about this sacramental principle and how it's really uh distinctly catholic and what it what basically what it means is that god created everything right the world everything physical all this this physical reality that we live in god created that and he made it good you see that back in genesis and god who is pure spirit cannot really communicate with us cuz we're not pure spirit we're we're body and soul we're we are a composite, you know. We have, uh, we live in a physical realm in, in creation itself, and so, in order for God to communicate to us or with us, He has to He has to use some sort of a medium through which to communicate. Okay, um, I think there's there's a scripture I can't, you know, as as a Catholic, I'm sorry, I'm not uh, good at, at, at quoting scripture, uh, um, chapter and verse, but there's a, a quote at some point that uh, in scripture where God says that. No one can see the face of God and live, okay? No one can see the face of God and live. And we talk about the face of God. You you see even some of the saints referring to the face of Jesus uh, or the face of the Lord. And it's sort of an image of, you know, when you see God face to face, which we can do in heaven, right? And I think even in heaven, we probably will have some sort of a grace that keeps us from being obliterated, from seeing God in all of his glory, right? We have to have some sort of help to help us to endure the the, the 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 magnitude, the power of seeing God face-to-face. So on this earth, we can't. We cannot see the face of God and live. And so God has to, in a sense, mediate his presence to us through created things. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's called the sacramental principle. You see this most profoundly, I think, most uh, strikingly. It's most evident in the seven sacraments. Uh, God doesn't just come to us and, and pour His grace out to us directly. Rather, He takes something as as simple as water, and the words that I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that and water, the water and the words actually do something spiritually. They do what they represent, right? In baptism, uh, the water represents the the cleansing of original sin. That that we're washed, that our sins are washed away. Well, it's not just a symbol or a sign, a sacrament actually does what it symbolizes. Right? It's it's not just a symbol. It's more than a symbol, and and so that water really does somehow, even though it's a physical thing, because of the sacramental nature of it, the water and the words of of the person who is doing the baptizing, uh, that sin is really washed away. So grace actually happens. Right? We are made children of God in the sacrament of baptism because of the water and the words. It is the sacramental nature. God working through something very physical. And the same thing happens in confession. We bring our sins to the priest and the priest utters the words of uh, absolution and makes the sign of the cross. And what happens? Not only is he telling us that our sins are forgiven, but they really are forgiven. <laughs> they really are taken away. It's the sacramental The sacramental signs are not just symbols. God really does work through those things to do what these symbols or signs say that they're doing. They are efficacious. That's the word that we use in theology, right? These are efficacious signs, the sacraments. Uh, And then again, especially for a foodie like me, I think it's highlighted even more in the Eucharist where we take simple bread and wine and uh, the priest takes those Simple gifts that we get from God uh, that are that are made with human hands, right? And they become for us the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ himself. And, and yet, think about that, right? You have God himself, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, is present in some mysterious, physical, tangible way in the sacred species, in the bread, in the wine, in the host, and in the cup. And, uh, and, 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 and he comes to us as we are. He comes to us physically. And that somehow through that physical means, he gives us spiritual grace. I mean, it's a beautiful reality. It is a beautiful thing if you really think about it. And it's amazing. And to me, and what that, what that shows is that the, the sacraments kind of highlight this, is that creation itself, right, God meets us where we are in the grit and grind of everyday life, in the dirtiness, the messiness of humanity, that God meets us right here. And, and, and he's not afraid. <laughs> he's not afraid to meet us where we are, right? He is God. He's pure spirit, but he uses these physical things, these tangible things to, to mediate, to meet us uh, where we are and to bring us his grace, his presence, his very life. You know, it's interesting, I've said this before, but that we talk about grace. God gives us grace. And sometimes we may not really reflect on what that means. What is grace? Well, if you look at the, at the definition of grace from a theological perspective, I mean, grace is God's very own life. That, that God has given us his very own life when he gives us Grace, you know, sometimes we talk about saying grace before meals, and it, it, it's it's something that uh that we often forget because we you know we eat meals every day. It's hard to remember these things sometimes too, because we may get in the habit of going to mass every week or every day, and, and we it, we receive the Eucharist all the time, and so the danger there is that familiarity breeds contempt, right that, that we become so familiar we forget. The the awesome power of what's actually taking place, whether it's really a sacrament like the Eucharist, but also the the power and the joy and the grace that can happen around our very own dinner tables and our families. And uh, so it's it's good to remember these things. What is grace? Grace is God's very own life. We say grace before meals. We're asking God to bless the food and to bless us around the table, and that God can actually be there. With us, so this is very um, important, I think, and uh, especially when we talk about Holy Week, because we are commemorating events that happened two thousand years ago. Even though we celebrate Mass every day in the Catholic Church, uh, and so in a sense, in a sense, we are commemorating. We are, uh, as I guess, another uh, theological term here, that the Eucharist is. Re The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, on Calvary, is represented, not represented, but represented, made real once again at every single Eucharistic celebration. That's powerful. That's what's really happening. That's what we think about. That's what really is happening when we remember, right? Do this in remembrance of me. It is not us here in 2012 thinking back to something that happened 2,000 years ago like it's a, a, just a pious thought. No, sacramentally, it is actually making present once again, representing, making present once again something that happened two thousand years ago—the definitive uh, event of salvation history, when when God Himself in, the, in, the, in, in, in Jesus Christ gave Himself over completely. That's what's happening. It is a representation, a making present again, something that happened two thousand years ago. And it's, uh, it's not that Jesus is sacrificed again. Rather, it is that we are in some mystical way allowed to be present at Calvary itself. It's, it's, it's a mystery. It is a mystery, which is one of the reasons why in the East they still do this. In the West, we've kind of fallen away. It still happens. We still acknowledge it. We call the sacraments mysteries in the West, in the Western church. But typically we, we refer to them as sacraments, whereas in the East they still hold to that old tradition of calling the sacraments the mysteries. Wow, so that's pretty powerful stuff, huh? <laughs> but I wanted to share with you all, before I do that, I wanted to highlight again that is the reason why Holy Week, Holy Thursday tonight is so special. Because as human beings, we need these special remembrances, these special reminders that what we experience on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, and, and, and church, right? We need these these reminders every year um, of what's really happening, of what's really happening every day. So tonight's special. And, you know, I think tonight is special for me and the reason, and I, and I say, you'll hear this in my conversation later with Sarah Reinhardt, tonight, Holy Thursday is special to me because a couple of things. First of all, you know, we have a, a a tradition that we we have here in our family every year where we prepare. I mean, I guess I've called it a modified Seder. I mean, it's not really – it's simply a really nice meal that we share together as a family around the table, dressed in our Sunday best, and, uh, and we read from Scripture. I read either uh, the Exodus story or something from John's Gospel in the Last Supper, the washing of the feet, something like that, and then we kind of talk about it and um, – and it's just a very it's a very personal, very intimate celebration that we have at home. It's a special meal that we we celebrate at home, which kind of mirrors in a way what we are going to celebrate at seven o'clock at the mass of the lord's Supper so for us it's a very um personal kind of intimate uh celebration and and I said in the beginning of the show that for me, you know Holy Thursday is almost more I don't want to say important that's not really the the right word but it's more intimate more personal uh I get more excited about it than I do even about Easter and and I want to explain that <laughs> so you don't get the wrong idea about me I mean of course the resurrection is so important it is it is the 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 high point of our liturgical year but what happens on Easter for us on a personal level is is after mass we end up going to families you know to the, to some celebration that with family. And so we may be at a, at a party with, you know, 20, 30 people or more and we're all over the place. You know, it's, it's great time. I mean, there's wine, there's lots of good food there. Maybe, maybe even cigars, (laughs) you know, it's good stuff and it's a lot of fun, but we're all scattered. We're all over and it's not really as personal and intimate, you know? And, and so that's what I mean. And that's why we get so excited. I think about uh holy thursday is because it's the our time as a family beforehand um and then the mass itself which is just a beautiful liturgy and then of course it ends in silence you know the the holy thursday that that mass ends in silence where they take the eucharist and and to an altar of repose and in our parish we're going to have confession after mass for a couple of hours until it's i guess too late <laughs> or until the lines die down, which in our parish we have very long lines. We have a very sinful parish, folks, uh, which I guess all parishes are sinful, but we have really long lines for confession. There's been many times I've gone to, ma- uh, gone to church uh, to confession on Saturdays and have, have not been able to go because the lines are so long, which is a good problem to have. That's a great problem. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to go to confession tonight, and it's all in silence uh, after Mass, and then we come back home, and there's a real sense of this is it. You know, we're here. This is, this is the Triduum. Tomorrow is Good Friday. Jesus dies tomorrow. Right now he's going through all some really terrible stuff, you know, with the, the being arrested and the, the trials and uh, the, the agony in the garden. And, you know, it's just a, it's a very real kind of tangible experience that you, that I, I, I feel, we feel it. You know, there's a feeling there of of what's going on so uh it's just a a very beautiful night for us and of course easter is going to be a lot of fun we will be with family and all that but it's just tonight's special tonight is special and that's why i wanted to to share these uh two conversations with you today the first one with sarah reinhardt i'm very excited of course about her new book um uh catholic family fun i'm very excited about that but even beyond the book. Sarah and I have talked in the past. She's a convert. I think she's been Catholic for eleven years, and we've talked in the past about how powerful her experience is of Holy Thursday. And so I wanted to to get her on the phone and to to share that conversation with you as well. And um, so what we're gonna do? I'm gonna take a short break here, and we're gonna come back to the interview with Sarah, the conversation with Sarah, and then I'm gonna follow that with that uh, interview from 2009 with Doctor. Brant Petrie. So we'll be back with that in just a moment. Well, we have a great treat today. Right here in Holy Week, we have a fantastic treat. Our good friend Sarah Reinhardt is with us on the show. Not just with Mary in the kitchen, but she's actually like right here with us, right? Hey Sarah. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Man, this is awesome to actually have you on the show and to converse with you and, and, and all of that. That's fantastic.
3: Well, what's fantastic for me is seeing your wife walk in the background because we're on Skype and seeing her in a tank top (laughs) and shorts and realizing that down in where y'all are, it's not like jeans and zippy weather. It's summertime, like what we in Ohio would call summertime. So it's good to know it's not as freezing cold down there as it is up here.
1: I tell you what, it is, uh, it is so hot right now. It's, it's unbelievable how hot it's been. Um, and, and unfortunately, the air conditioning went out in our van. So uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, there's a reason why we wear tank tops and, uh, and oh, shorts man. and sandals everywhere we go.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for you, though, when we're, you know, still, the heater's still on in the house. Oh, my goodness. But- that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: Oh wow. Well, you know, not crazy uh,
3: for Ohio, actually, but
1: yeah. Well, it's hard for us to understand. You know, hard to comprehend. Yeah. But <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, we're we're privileged. I mean, we always are very happy every episode of the Catholic Foodie because uh, you're with us on the show. You know, with Mary in the kitchen, and you're sharing uh, just insights that that really help to build up my faith and not only my faith, but also the way that I approach my family. Every day, and uh, that's just really uh, I'm very happy, very thankful uh, that you've been part of the Catholic foodie for goodness. what is it? Three years now, two years now, something like that?
3: Wow, it's been just over two years, just over I two think. years. yeah yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's hard to believe.
1: So in the last time that I actually had you on the show, and of course you know we're doing this via Skype, um, you you ratted me out because I was sitting here drinking a beer. And yeah, there's no there's <laughs>
3: coffee today, everybody, just that's in case right. you wonder there's it's coffee, coffee today and there's
1: and there's no rum in it or anything really it's just coffee well <laughs> i can't I can't attest to that Jeff i we got to
3: take you on your word on that one that's
1: right that's right well, um you know, I wanted to have you on the show today, Sarah, for many different reasons uh part of it is we're we're in a, a really uh well i mean it's kind of like the high point liturgically of the church year i mean we're 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 getting ready to celebrate the resurrection i mean this this unheard of event in the history of the world that 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 changed everything that someone and not just anybody but someone very uh unique and very special actually rose from the dead that that's a tremendous thing and it has Changed completely, altered completely, all of human history, and uh, so we're in the middle right now, where we're really in just at the, the beginning of, of Holy Week, which is a uh, a time where the reality of what we call the sacramental principle, and that's what we're talking about this episode, is is highlighted for us because we are reliving, reenacting, but more than just reenacting, it's it's um, making present again, right, representing these events that changed human history. And uh, so I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about that specifically, but an added bonus, an added bonus is I got something in the mail uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and uh, something very special. It's uh, it's a book, and you might, you might be familiar with this book. It's called Catholic Family Fun, A Guide for the Adventurous, Overwhelmed, Creative, and Me, which is clueless, right? I'm the clueless one. And it's by someone named uh, Sarah A. Reinhardt. Have, have you heard of that book
3: before? Wow, it's got a nice cover.
1: <laughs> it does. It's fantastic. I love this book, uh, published by Pauline Books and Media. Anyway, I, ho- I was hoping that while we're on this topic of Holy Week and all, that we could also talk about this new book you've got out.
3: Cool.
2: <laughs> it's...
3: Uh... <laughs> I, you know, it's it's a hilarious book. They approached me with the concept, and I um, was glad that it wasn't a phone call because I fell out of my chair laughing. Um, <clears throat> Catholic family fun being something that maybe I like the idea of, but maybe <laughs> struggle with the practice of. You know. Um, and so I look at it as being a way of integrating faith into your family life without shoving it down your kid's throat. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sensitive to that sort of thing, and I have at least one child who is also sensitive to it. So that was sort of my goal with this book. And I, I think from the feedback I've gotten that it's largely um, helpful for people as they've gone through it. So,
1: Well, I know. Uh, I'm, I, I love it. I'm very excited about it. And the thing is, is, you know, I love the, the, the subtitle, you know, a guide, the adventurous, overwhelmed, creative, or clueless, because, you know, I like to think of myself as creative and adventurous, but I think I tend to be more on the overwhelmed and clueless side.
2: (laughs) Yeah, me too.
1: So, uh, I mean, it's just perfect. Um, and, and practical, practical ideas that are very doable. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I've, as I've told other people about the book, I've. Mentioned, I said, you know, the, what I need is not just the um, the practical ideas, but I also need that source of encouragement to let me know that hey, I'm not really completely inept, and I and I actually could actually you know could do this. <laughs> And, and you have yeah, a wonderful.
3: Encouragement is one of the big one of the big things I do try and and accomplish as well, because I need that. Like I often find myself, I start out adventurous and creative, and it takes about five minutes before I'm overwhelmed and clueless. So <laughs> what I try to do in the book is, you know, if you've got the same zeal for like, all right, let's do this, well, well, let- Okay, and here's a plan, and here are some ideas that if you need to, at the last minute, change up a few things, it's all right to do that. Um, I tend to be sort of, I want things to be a certain way, and this is how I'll know it's perfect, and this is how I'll know it went well, and the reality is often much different from what I think it should be, and that doesn't mean it's not successful at all. So sort of being open to God's grace and being able to be a little bit spontaneous and things. So hopefully, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. It's helping you.
1: And also to realize, I think, that um, it doesn't always have to be perfect. See, that's my my hang-up. I, I, yeah. Oh, be, me too. It has to be perfect.
3: <laughs> perfect. And perfect is a word that I've defined so tightly and narrowly that nothing can ever reach it. Right. So, yeah, hopefully. There's also a cool thing in the very back of the book. I don't know if you noticed this, Jeff, but when they asked me to come up with this appendix, they were actually talking about a cookbook. And they said... Um, The Daughters of St. Paul, the editor I had over there, said, you know, I envision this book being like a cookbook for families. Instead of looking up recipes, they're looking up recipes for family fun. So you can go in the back and each activity, you can look at a glance and see how much prep time, how long the activity will take, and then kind of a cost parameter of low, medium, high. So if you're broke, but you got a lot of time, there are activities for that if your time's strapped and you're, not, you're okay spending a little bit of cash, there are activities for that and there's everything, you know, on that spectrum. So there, the, the activities are listed in different ways in the back there. So much like I use my favorite cookbooks and go to the back and go, okay, these are the ingredients I have. This is what I want to accomplish. You can do that as well instead of looking and going, there is no way my family would ever be able to do this activity in chapter five. Well, that's okay.
1: You know, I, I noticed that, and the first thing that I thought of when I saw it, I said, "I thought, man, Sarah is so organized. <laughs> <laughs> I could never do that.
3: <laughs> well, um, they asked me to do it, and when I they first told me, I thought, oh, here comes the overwhelmed part of, the, right, right. you know, trying to organize. It wasn't that hard. I just went through each, each activity and thought, all right, is it, you know— I mean, the prep time thing is little or none, medium, which is one to two hours of prep time or two to four hours of prep time. So I went through and ranked everything. Then I went through and ranked how long the activity takes. Is it less than an hour? Is it one to two hours? Is it more than two hours? Which, you know, you can use that. I've got some little ones who more than two hours is too much. Right. So you can just rule out if you've got a kid under three with you, you can kind of rule out those activities. Sometimes, sometimes not. So yeah, it, it wasn't as hard. It looks more impressive altogether than it it wasn't that hard to go through each activity and think about it after I'd been dealing with the activities for some time. So
1: this is an excellent cookbook of family fun. I like that.
3: <laughs> A
1: cookbook. I thought you would. Yeah, I love cookbooks. Um well you know, uh there there. how many total activities do we have in here?
3: I think ninety-four. Ninety four. Yeah, and then I'm going to be putting a new activity on the book's website every month. So that's in April, there will be a new activity going up. And then each month, I'll be putting up a new activity and then a Just for Moms reflection. And I'm also going to be coming up with four um, multimedia YouTube-type videos, which has me a little bit terrified. But I'm <laughs> going to dive in and see what I can come up with. Um, but it's meant to be sort of a, an encouragement realizing that a lot of times moms are the ones that plan this sort of thing. Right, right. Um, Just like moms a lot of times are the ones who plan the meals. So this isn't too much different from planning a meal, except the cooking, (laughs) the ingredients you're working with are different. Right. So, and we've, the Facebook page, I've invited people over at the Facebook page for the book to, you know, chime in with their ideas and, um I'm sharing things as I find them that are helpful. So, trying to come up with an area where we can all kind of feed each other, you know, give each right. other tips.
2: Right.
1: And uh the website for the book is catholicfamilyfun.com, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. com. Well, this is excellent. And you know, some of the things that I love that my 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 favorite parts, of course, I can't help but love the stuff that deals with food. <laughs> <laughs> and cooking and yes. some really good ideas in there. And of course you've got some excellent points too, some excellent activities that really kinda call out to me in the in the section about prayer. And uh you know, I, I think that this week in particular, with you know, it being Holy Week, we have lots of opportunities to pray. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that we do as a family on Holy Thursday is we prepare a meal at home and uh it's it's Lamb and uh parsley potatoes and salad and uh, all kind of really yummy, yummy stuff, and of course, char and I will enjoy a glass of wine and um and we sit around the table dressed and in, in, in very nice clothes, church clothes and I read after we do our prayer, I read like the section from uh well i've actually I've done different I've done it differently uh, sometimes I read from the Exodus and sometimes I read from uh john 's Gospel, his account of the Last Supper, so different different things, but that for us is almost and it 's kind of crazy to say this it's almost um, a bigger how do I put this i don't even now that I think about it i don 't even know how I'm going to say this and not sound like stupid but uh, <laughs> it's like Easter's great, and Easter's the high point, right but for mm-hmm. us, Holy Thursday is very special because we do this, and then we go to the the Mass, right? The celebration of the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. at seven o'clock in our parish. But there's something very special about doing that together as a family that's very powerful for us. Whereas Easter, it's like you go to Mass and it's wonderful and you celebrate and then after that, typically we're going to someone else's house, you know, like a relative's and it's a big party and you kind of get lost in that. You know what I'm saying? Whereas
3: mm-hmm. Holy Holy Thursday is um well midnight mass at Christmas has a special place for me too but holy thursday mass I would say is my favorite mass of the year and my children um and whether or not my husband's able to get home from work in time for the mass or not um our tradition and I guess it's my tradition um is we'll go to that mass and our parish is small enough and our priest is of the mindset, anybody who wants to come up and have their feet washed will. And over the years I've found that to be one of the most humbling experiences. Um, And I know there's lots of, there's theological debate about, should women have their feet washed, et cetera. Beyond that, what I have observed in my small parish, um, and with my children too, last year I was really struck. Um, My five-year-old was anticipating this mass so much. And when Father got up there and he takes his robe off and he's just in his um, alb and he has a, you know, he has the towel and he's got bad knees. So he creaks down Mm -hmm. and there's a bowl of water and, you know, he takes everybody's foot and he washes it very gently and then he kisses it and he says something personal to every person. And I think over time I have come to see Jesus and not just because I love my priest dearly, but because in that act, in that gentleness of You know, like our feet, we're not in dirty sandals all day, but feet are gross. I mean, (laughs) feet are gross. And there's no soap in that water. It's just water. You know, he's, he's, that's my gross, icky foot. And he always says (laughs) something that brings tears to my eyes. And I watch him do this with everybody who goes up there. And, you know, the people who run to the front are the children. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are like, woohoo. And, you know, it, it gave me an insight last year into that. That saying when Jesus says, let the little children come to me, and also the call for us to be more like little children, you know, do we go up there and embrace the opportunity to be humble and to just make ourselves small? No, I never do. Absolutely not. And so, I mean, I often look for an excuse like, I don't need to get in that line. No, 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 no. But I always, I, I usually do when I'm at that Mass. Um, but And I notice too how people reluctantly, it's almost like they feel pulled a little bit, like they'll go up there. And without fail, Father's um, homilies that night are about his conversion story, or not his his call to ordination, like his call to the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And it involves his girlfriend being the one to look at him and going, Pat, we were just talking about you. You'd make a great priest. And it was sort of like <laughs> the last straw for him. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> and that was sort of his, he told
3: God, you got to give me a sign I can't dispute. And God did. He goes, wow. who knew he listened? Yeah. But it's – and he always ends the homily by thanking us and then he takes our feet, you know, our stinky, gross, disgusting feet and he kisses them and he always says something so tender and it just gives me a glimpse of, you know, how much God loves us. You know, not only did he become man and get dirt under his fingernails and scabs on his knees and probably drive his mother nuts because I have a little boy now and I know little boys (laughs) drive you nuts. You can be completely without sin and have a little boy drive you crazy.
2: (laughs) So he was a
3: little boy and I'm sure he was all boy. And, you know, and then for him to, to act that way and to take those stinky feet and then to hang on that cross. I mean, for me, Holy Thursday just sort of gives me that human face I need. And I so often struggle with like, this is, is for me, it's where the blessed mother really helps me because if God had a mom he becomes someone I can relate to so much easier than just God. You know, it, mm-hmm. becoming man was just brilliant on his part because we are it's so easy to put things on a pedestal and distance ourselves. It's hard to get close. It's hard to see the imperfections when you get close. But when you get close and there are no imperfections, you know, it's even harder right. sometimes, you know, like God's perfect. What What does he want with me? Well, he'll take your foot, he'll kiss it, and he'll thank you. If you'll let in. So, yeah, I love Holy Thursday.
1: Wow. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then afterwards, they do a procession. So they hold up the monstrance, you know, and he, he processes down to the church basement. And they'll have incense. And so the kids are like, it's like the only time we we'll use incense. And they process out and the kids are like, and we talk about Jesus is leaving the church now. There's no Jesus in right, the church. Right. And he's in the basement. And then we stay down there. And my kids, I mean, even the lit. My little guy this year, he's 16 months old. He'll be impossible during this Mass, and that's okay. We'll just deal with him and laugh. But the girls, my girls are four and seven, and they get it. Like, they don't really understand it, but they they get it. Right. They see Jesus right. is gone now. This is important you know, and we're coming to mass in the middle of the week and there's incense and father's wearing a different color and he washed my foot and there's flowers, all the, all the Easter lilies and flowers will be in the church. Like they'll decorate that altar down there in the church basement, the altar of repose. And it's beautiful. But when you go up to the church, it's bare, Bare. it's empty. Mm. You know, it's, the Triduum has begun and I use it when I talk to my fifth grade PSR class and when I teach confirmation class too, I remind them of this and tell them, you know, remember this is what's happening. This is what this means. And you can see these kids have an ability that I I think sometimes as adults we sort of turn we we shrug we get cynical. It's hard not to, but these kids aren't yet completely cynical, and it's it's refreshing to me to see them get sort of excited and kind of, huh. So. And I see it in my own children as well. So, yeah. Holy yeah. Thursday is pretty cool.
1: I mean, your your uh, reflections just now um, were really profound. <laughs> I mean, kind of had me speechless at a point. But you're so right. And it's, it really is about the humanity, you know, the, the humanity of, of Christ, but uh, how he, he doesn't shy away from us and uh, how, how he embraces us and our own humanity, and our own frailty and dirtiness, you know he embraces us, and uh there was something that uh i guess that's one of the things that uh, for me the i guess the privilege right of of being catholic the the gift the grace of being catholic is is that we sort of highlight that you know we have a a corpus on the cross it's it's, it's a crucifix, it's not just a cross because there's something very uh human and not not pretty, although a lot of our crucifixes are pretty in church. But uh, there's something about faith. There's something about uh, spirituality. There's something about religion that really isn't pretty, and yet that's where that's where we can encounter God, and and we need that human element, that that sacrament, right? The very physical, tangible thing. I think we really need that to make this spiritual connection that that is available to us with with God. So wow, I love how you phrased your description of Holy Thursday, because I didn't have words for that. I, I didn't have words for that. But that's it. you hit it on the, uh, the nail on the head. <laughs> thank you very must much. Must have been the
3: Holy Spirit at work.
1: <laughs> that's right. We need the Holy Spirit for sure. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you know, we, I say this all the time, so I, I'm going I'm to give you a chance to say it since um, I've got you here like live. Uh, where can people find you on the Internet?
3: Well, I am at snoringscholar.com, and I never fail to link up to other places I show up. So, yeah, Snoring Scholar is my home on the web.
1: And uh, also, uh, for the show notes for this show, I will put uh, links uh, to your site, of course, and also to the book. Uh, where can people find the book?
3: It is available from your local Catholic bookstore. So that's the first place I send people. You can also find it on the Daughters of St. Paul, uh, Pauline Media's bookstore. I think it's for sale on Amazon, but you have to click through to like their little storefront in Amazon. And I don't know if it's up on Barnes & Noble yet. It was still, I haven't checked yet this week. so okay. I've been a little distracted. Haven't checked yet this week, but but it is um, all it's over coming up soon in all kinds of different. I'm, I expect Catholic Company will have it soon, and Aquinas and more will have it soon as okay. well. But I tell everybody go first to your local Catholic bookstore because they're the they're the people in the street fighting the the good battle of trying to make those products available for all of us. So
2: right,
1: right, right. and the uh, website again is CatholicFamilyFun.com.
3: Yes, that is the website and that should give you links to the mm-hmm. Facebook page and you can also buy it I believe right from that website as well.
1: Okay, good. Well, Sarah, again, thank you so much and uh have a uh happy holy happy and holy holy week <laughs> and a happy Easter too.
3: Thanks you too, Jeff and all the listeners. All right, God bless. God bless.
1: Well, thank you again, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking the time to be uh, to, to, to get on the phone with me and to have this conversation. It was great having you on the show live. And, uh, that was just, wow. Thank you so much. (laughs) And, um, also I want to, uh, to let y'all know that, uh, I didn't really make this clear in the conversation, but the reason that Holy Thursday uh, I made that connection, I guess, between Holy Thursday and Sarah's book for this reason, I've already said this a couple of times this episode, but, It really is very personal and intimate. It's a family thing, right? uh, Sarah's book is about Catholic family fun, and it's about, you know, having fun in your family. And and that was the connection I wanted to make. Just to make sure I said that, because I don't think I said it clearly enough in that conversation with Sarah, but that the reason that I drew a connection between Holy Thursday, our Holy Thursday family celebration, and Sarah's book is because... um, of that, that real intimate personal quality where it's just us. You know, it's just us around the table enjoying a good meal and reading from Scripture and talking about what's going to happen at Mass and, you know, what about Good Friday? What are we going to do on Good Friday and uh, Holy Saturday and going into to Easter? So that was the connection I was trying to make. I hope you got that. Anyway, thank you again. Sarah Reinhardt, you can find over at com And, of course, her book, her book, you can find, more, uh, I guess you can say, extras from the book over at com. Wow,
0: something smells good. Those uh, goodies in there.
1: <laughs> Granny, Granny Puckett, the goodie lady? My goodness, she makes some good...
0: Goodies. She's got a thing. It's like a. Uh, it's like a uh, cookies, shortbread, chocolate icing between. Very. It's good. Uh, it's very good.
1: Uh, well, we're very fortunate today to have Dr. Brant Petrie with us. Uh, welcome, Dr. Brant Petrie.
0: Thanks so much for having
1: me. Uh, now, you are a professor of uh, theology, correct? That's right. And uh, t- tell us a little bit about how you got to be a professor of theology, a theologian.
0: Okay. Well, um, I uh, I received my doctorate in uh, theology with a specialization in scripture from the University of Notre Dame back in 2004. And then for many years before that, I spent my time doing my master's and undergraduate studies in biblical studies and theology at Vanderbilt and at Louisiana State University. And my interest in scripture goes all the way back to my teenage days. When I first met a young girl who is now my wife, she was a young Baptist, and we started to get into discussions and debates about the biblical roots of Catholic teaching, or the lack thereof, from her perspective at the time. Um, So I started having to basically defend my faith and show where, uh, in the scriptures in particular, the Catholic Church's teachings were to be found. So just through a little, little, little grace and also from some promptings from her and her family members, I uh, got very interested in the Bible and um, I've spent the last couple of decades really studying it and uh, in particular looking at the biblical roots of Catholic teaching and especially the uh, ancient Jewish roots of Catholic belief, especially in the Old Testament. So um, that's my area of interest, and uh, for the last few years I've been the Donum Dei Professor of Word and Sacrament at Our Lady of Holy Cross in New Orleans, which means that I specialize in particular on um, sacramental theology of the church and on the Eucharist in particular as as a a key area of focus. Um, Along the same lines, I've been working on uh, two books on the Eucharist, a long long academic book on the Last Supper um, that will come out from Urban's, and then a shorter book on Jesus and the Jewish roots of the Eucharist that, that will be published by Doubleday. So this has been something that's been on the brain now for a long time, and that's kind of how I got to where I am today.
1: Wow, that's amazing and and it's appropriate too cuz i mean this week is is holy week Amen, and uh, that's right holy thursday is uh, just a couple of days away mm-hmm. um and one of the things that really has uh, uh, sparked my curiosity for a long time are the connections i mean there, there seem to be so many connections between the eucharist we celebrate today and what we see in the old testament with the passover meal
0: mhm absolutely absolutely in mm-hmm. fact um one of the things that I've been studying for the last few years now is trying to figure out um, what the Old Testament roots are of our belief as Catholics and the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, right? So as Catholics, we believe that the Eucharist is not just a symbol, it's not just, it's not just a memorial, it's actually the real presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in um, coming to us under the appearance of bread and wine after the Eucharist is consecrated by the priest and he speaks the words of Christ, this is my body, this is my blood, that the bread and wine are actually transformed, um, or transubstantiated, as we say, into the actual body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, the whole Christ, Christ the person. And that's kind of a hard pill for people to swallow. It's, it, obviously, it's a miraculous thing, if it's true, but where do we root that in sacred scripture? And so one of the things I've been working on a lot is asking the question, you know, how is it that the first Christians came to believe in the Eucharist as Mm -hmm. the body and blood of Christ? How did they believe in the real presence? Mm -hmm. We know for a fact that, for example, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 that the Eucharist is, quote, a participation in the body of Christ, and that the uh, cup of blessing that we drink is a participation in the blood of Christ. Um, And he talks about profaning the body and blood of Jesus if a person receives the Eucharist unworthily in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, So he clearly believes in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. But how is it that he came to believe in it? How is it that he, for example, as a first century Jew, who would have known that in the Old Testament, in, say, for example, the book of Leviticus chapter 17, that it was prohibited to drink blood, um, that it was unlawful to do so. How would somebody like St. Paul, who was a first century Jew, come to believe In the Old Testament, that it was unlawful to drink blood, but in the New Testament, we actually have to drink the blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the blood of Christ, of the appearance of wine. And so one of the things I found out, Jeff, was that the the key to understanding the the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, the key for somebody like St. Paul, a Jewish Christian, is actually the Old Testament itself, that Paul, for example, would have known that there were events there were types, prototypes, prefigurations of the Eucharist in the Old Testament that actually point forward to what Jesus is going to do with the Last Supper, but also reveal that the Last Supper had to actually be his body and blood, his real body and blood, and not just a symbol. Okay, So that's, that's really um, where I'd like to begin. The first one, the one you just mentioned, was the Passover, right? Didn't you right, say right. the Passover? Yeah. Okay, Well, that definitely is the first and perhaps in many ways the most important prefiguration of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist in the Old Testament. Because in the Passover, as many people know from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, it describes the fact that on Passover night, when the Jews were released from Egypt, they were set free um, from the slavery to Pharaoh, um, they had to perform a sacrifice in order to be saved from the angel of death, from the destroying angel. And Exodus chapter 12 says that every Israelite took a lamb, a Passover lamb, um, an unblemished male lamb, a year old, and sacrificed the lamb. And then they would take the, the blood of the lamb, they would actually pour it out into a basin, um, and take the blood of the lamb, they would pour it out into a basin, and then dip a branch of hyssop in the, in the blood, spread the blood on the doorposts and the lintel of the home, mm-hmm. so the entryways to their homes to act as a kind of a, kind of a sign of of the covenant that they'd enter into with God. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that many people often forget, but which is fundamentally important for us regarding the Last Supper, is that in the Old Testament they had to eat the lamb. That was the completion of the sacrifice. Exactly. Sometimes people think, well, you know, the death of the lamb was the completion of the sacrifice. But it actually wasn't. Because if you, for example, if you sacrificed the lamb and you went to bed that night and didn't eat the flesh of the lamb, and you'd have woken up in the first, the morning, uh, first thing in the morning, your firstborn son would be dead. He would have been struck down by the destroying angel, by the angel of death. That's in, all in Exodus chapter twelve. Makes that very clear. So the thing that's fascinating about that Old Testament event of the sacrifice, the death, and the eating of the flesh of the Passover lamb, that sacred meal, which was how Israel got out of Egypt. What's so fascinating about that is that people sometimes forget that the Last Supper was not just any kind of meal. You know, Jesus wasn't just meeting with his apostles to say, farewell guys, you know, it's been good together for the last (laughs) few years. I'll I'll see you when I get back, you know. (laughs) I'll see you after the resurrection. It's not just any kind of meal. It's a sacred meal. Mm -hmm. It's a Passover meal. As um, the Gospel of Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 26, that the night of the Last Supper was the days of the Passover, and that Jesus sent the apostles to the upper room to, quote, keep the Passover, to prepare the Passover, so that he could celebrate that with his disciples. Now, what's interesting about that, Jeff, is that if the Last Supper was a Passover meal, Jesus obviously um, is keeping that in accordance with Jewish tradition, but he does something very different at the Passover meal than what other Jews were doing. At the time, in the first century, other Jews, when they celebrated the Passover, would have taken the flesh of the Passover lamb and explained to the attendees at the, at the Passover the meaning of the flesh of the Passover lamb. They would have taken the bread of the Passover lamb, of the Passover, um, the unleavened bread, the Jews would eat with it. It's called matzah. We've probably all heard of matzah, especially mm-hmm. on a show about food. I'm sure people know about <laughs> matzah, unleavened right. bread, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, they would have taken that and talked about the exodus from Egypt and how God had delivered the people from Egypt. Jesus does something strange. Instead of focusing on the flesh of the Passover lamb, he takes the unleavened bread, the matzah of the Passover, and he says these words, This is my body. Take, eat. This is my body, given for you. And then he takes the cup of wine that the Jews would have drunk at the Passover meal, and he says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I think you can see what he's doing here, or at least even if we can't see it, any first-century Jew would have seen it, is that he is replacing the sacrifice of the Passover lamb with himself, right? He's showing that in the old covenant, the Passover was centered on a lamb, an actual sacrificial lamb that was put to death, but now he's essentially instituting a new Passover that's not going to be centered on the flesh and blood of any animal, but on his own flesh and blood given to us under the form of bread and wine. Wow. Does that make sense?
1: That makes sense. That's incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really an incredible connection. Because what it shows us, and this is really the key, and I think St. Paul would have gotten this for example, that if Jesus is the new Passover lamb, okay, and the Last Supper is the new Passover meal, then any first century Jew would have known that in order to complete the Passover meal, what do you have to do?
1: You have to eat the lamb.
0: Exactly, you have to eat the lamb. So when Jesus goes to his death on the cross, that's not the end of the story, right? That's that's obviously the center of the story of salvation. But the end of the story, the end of the sacrifice, is going to be when the apostles and then we, following their imitating them, Jesus, do this in memory of me. When we eat the flesh and drink the blood of the new Passover lamb, who is Christ Himself. Golly! Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is. It really is amazing because it it's it's really incontrovertible that at least in a first century Jewish context that Jesus really does see the bread and wine as the Last Supper, not just as a symbol, but as his actual body and blood. Because think about it: in the Old Testament, if you just ate a symbol of the lamb's flesh, because say you didn't like lamb, for example, maybe right. you don't like mutton. Okay, yeah. I'm sure some of your listeners may not may be fans life. of mutton, mutton, right? I don't know right. if you are. Do you like mutton? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, well, you <laughs> love it, so you'd have been fine. <laughs> I'm not actually personally a fan, to be quite frank. Um, oh, goodness. But if, so, if I was in the Old Testament period and I didn't like mutton and I put the, you know, sacrifice for the lamb, but I didn't feel like eating a lamb, maybe I said, well, I'm just going to eat a symbol of a lamb, like a little lamb cookie or something like
2: that, right.
0: <laughs> um, a little lamb-shaped cookie. Well, if I'd have gone to sleep for the night, I'd wake up in the morning, and my firstborn son would be he would be dead. Because the covenant had not been sealed, the sacrifice had not been completed. The sacrifice was completed by eating the flesh of the Lamb. And that is the key to understanding the Last Supper um, and the Eucharist. It really is, it is the fulfillment of the Passover. And just for your listeners who may be interested, the Catechism of, of the Catholic Church actually says this. I'm not making this up, this isn't just my kind of personal opinion as a theologian, but the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is the official compendium of all the teachings of the Church, um, actually says this in paragraph 1340, that's 1340, of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Your, Your listeners can find that online, the whole thing's online, or you can get it at a bookstore. It says that by celebrating the Last Supper with his apostles, in the course of the Passover meal, Jesus gave the Jewish Passover its definitive meaning. Mm-hmm. See, Jesus passing over to his Father by his death and resurrection, the Catechism says, the new Passover is anticipated in the Last Supper and celebrated in the Eucharist, which fulfills the Jewish Passover and anticipates the final Passover of the church and the glory of the kingdom. Wow. So, I mean, this is just basic church teaching on the, the truth of Jesus' real presence being tied directly to the Passover. And in fact, Jeff, since it is Holy Week, I can point out, you know, we, we're about to come up to the point where we celebrate the, the sacred triduum of right, Easter, the right. three holy days, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter Vigil, Holy Saturday, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Wow. Well, sometimes that's called the Paschal Triduum.
2: Right, okay? right.
0: Or the Paschal Mystery. Well, that word, Paschal, is actually from the Greek word Pascha, which means Passover. So, I mean, our whole Catholic faith dinners around the whole liturgical year in the Catholic Church leads up to essentially our celebration of the Passover. The
2: Passover, yeah.
0: Of the new Passover. Exactly, exactly. And so for those of your listeners who might be, be uh, participating in that on Holy Thursday, they need tell them to listen up, pay attention everybody. When you go to mass on Holy Thursday, guess what the readings for that week are going to be focused on? The first reading from the Old Testament (laughs) is going to be straight from Exodus chapter 12, which is, of all things, the description of the Passover in the Old Testament. (laughs) So the church knows what it's doing. It's not just picking these passages randomly. It's selecting them to show us that Jesus is the new Passover lamb Mm -hmm. and that the Eucharist is the flesh of the lamb, that we are blessed to be able to eat.
1: And just like in the Old Testament, eating the Passover lamb meant salvation exactly. for the Jews, so today eating the flesh of the Lamb of God means salvation for us. It's it's incredibly beautiful.
0: It is incredibly beautiful. It is one of the greatest mysteries of our faith, and it's one of the most beautiful mysteries of our faith, and that's why it's really the center of our whole liturgical year leading up to this Feast of the Eucharist and the Feast of the Resurrection on, on um, Easter Sunday. I mean, this is this is what it's all about. I mean, Jesus, this is the last thing he does, you know, before it. he begins his passion. And he, he commands the apostles, do this in memory of me. Um, because this is the way he's going to be present with, his, with us forever, until the end of time. You know, some, some Christians who maybe don't believe, for example, in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, they might have a hard time explaining why he says, you know, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, I will be with you always even Mm -hmm. to the end of time, and then he goes straight up into heaven, right? (laughs) Right. It it seems a little bit uh, disingenuous on his part, you know? (laughs) Why does he say uh, he's going to be with us for all time, standing there in his bodily form, and then he goes up into heaven? Now, obviously, he's present in spirit, but we as Catholics recognize that the way he's present with us bodily until the end of time is in the Eucharist. Eucharist. And you know, Jeff, he revealed that to the apostles at another meal that he has with them. And that one is on Easter Sunday itself in Luke chapter twenty four, mm-hmm. the road to Emmaus. I'm right. sure you remember that yes. famous story. You know, he's walking along the road with the apostles and uh, those two disciples who are upset because you know he was crucified and they thought he was the Messiah. And he's explaining to them the prophecies about him in the Scripture. And I wonder if he talked about the Passover. It'd be interesting to see. Would have been nice to have been there on Easter Sunday. But then in Luke twenty four, uh, verses uh, twenty eight. And following, he says that Jesus drew near to the village where they were going, and he was going to go further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, because it's toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And, and then the scripture says these amazing words, And their eyes were open, and they recognized, and he vanished out of their sight.
2: Yeah, wow.
0: Right? And it says, they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? And then they run back to the other apostles to tell them what had happened. And then verse 35, it says, they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Right? Wow. Yes. So what is Jesus doing here? I mean, this is Easter Sunday. It's a pretty important day. Right? He's got a lot to do. That's right. That's right. So why does he pick this particular event? Why does he do these particular things? You know? He takes the bread. He blessed the bread. He breaks it. He gives it to him. Hmm. When's the last time he did that, Jeff? Can you think? Can you think of when's the last time he took bread, blessed bread, broke it, and gave it to us? Like, hmm, Let
1: me, let me yeah. think about
0: that. <laughs> yeah. <just laughs> mull that one over for a minute. Right, right. right. <laughs> of course, it's the Last, the last Supper. Supper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what's going on here? Is Jesus doing a repeat performance of the Last Supper? Well, no. What's happening is he is making present that same reality that was taking place at the Last Supper. And notice the strange thing about this meal is that as soon as he gives them the bread, it says their eyes were open and they recognized him. Mm. And then he vanished out of their sight. So that means that up to that point, they didn't really realize that it was Jesus. But as soon as he gives them the bread, then their eyes are open and they recognize him. But then he does something strange, you know, he disappears, he vanishes. Mm -hmm. So why does he do that? What's he trying to do? Is he, you know, pulling the David Copperfield? You know, now you <laughs> right. see me, now you don't. He's right. just teasing the apostles, right? Um, you, know, um, you know, just playing games with them? No, I think, I would suggest to you that what he's doing is he's showing them that. The way I'm going to be with you now until the end of time is not under my bodily form in the, in the appearance of a man, the form of a man, but under the form of bread and wine right. in right. the Eucharist. That's right. Right. And that's what they said. He was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's the way that they understand the mystery of the resurrection and the mystery of his real presence with us now. He's just as truly and really present with us in the Eucharist Mm -hmm. today as he was 2,000 years ago with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. He's Uh just hidden under the appearance of bread and wine.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Dr. Petrie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. I think you've given us a lot to just uh, mull chew over, on. to chew on, exactly, <laughs> to chew on as we enter Holy Week, and especially the, the celebration of uh, the Last Supper on, absolutely. on Holy Thursday. Uh, absolutely. We, will, we will make sure to pay attention to those readings.
0: <laughs> Definitely, absolutely. I mean, this is the, the, the whole liturgy is set up to kind of lead us into that mystery of what Jesus has done for us in the Last Supper, and what he continues to do for us every single Mass. I Amen. mean, the whole Mass, it's, it's, it's a banquet, it's a meal, but unlike, I'm sure, some of your other shows where you talk about ordinary meals, this is an extraordinary meal. This right. is no ordinary banquet. This is the banquet of the Passover lamb Absolutely. who loved us and gave himself for us so that we could have salvation and so that we could be saved from death. Oh,
1: man. Well, um, I, what I will do, I will uh, put a, a link in the in the show notes on the website uh, in case anybody wants to look up uh, some of the stuff. I know you have some the, the books you mentioned earlier, and I believe some of your talks are also available in CD format. Yeah,
0: actually, uh, yeah, they can they can go to my website. It's www.brantpetrie.com. That's wwwb dot com. and uh, there I have a whole host of Bible studies on CD, on the Jewish and the biblical roots of the Eucharist. I have a, one of my favorite ones is on the Eucharist and the Gospel of John. That's over eight hours of biblical study wow. just on the Eucharist, just in John. And then I have a full-fledged set, um, which is perhaps the longest one of all, called Eucharistic Theology. And that's 21 hours of lectures oh, just God. looking at the Eucharist in the Bible, going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's awesome. And we touch on pretty much every meal that I was eating in the whole Bible study. Um, no, so that no, would actually, be a good a one. lot of eating going on in the Bible. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so they can check those out at, at com and, and invite them to get them, study them, and share them with others. Wonderful. Okay? Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. Okay. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye.
1: Well, that was awesome. <laughs> Hard to believe that that was like three years ago, huh? Goodness gracious. Things have changed, too. Uh, he's uh, Dr. Petrie has written uh, a few more books, and uh, there'll be links in the show notes over at CatholicFruity.com. So you can go check out uh, his website and also the books that he has available, and he's got uh, lots of CD um, uh, presentations also. Fantastic stuff. And uh, he's also teaching now at uh, Notre Dame Seminary, and he's no longer at uh, Our Lady of Holy Cross College. So he's preparing future priests, uh, not only for the archdiocese of New Orleans, but for many uh, dioceses around the country that send their seminarians there, so that's fantastic news as well. Uh, now, uh, in addition, I want to let you know that on CatholicFoodie.com for this uh, this post in the show notes, I'm going to include some of the uh, some links to things that we've talked about in the past, including recipes. Uh, we do grilled lamb this evening. That's what what we have on our menu along with uh, cream spinach and uh, some parsley potatoes and a few other things. And uh, in hummus, of course, you know, got to have hummus. And uh, I will have links to those recipes in the show notes over at CatholicFoodie.com. Be sure to check those out. You have a few more hours left to hit the grocery store if you need to. And uh, also, before we wrap things up, I want to uh, remind you that SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, is continuing their giving campaign. It's still going strong right now. We're getting closer and closer to that uh, that goal, that benchmark of what we're trying to raise. And again, this is money that goes to uh, to to establish to continue a uh, an excellent Catholic presence, a, a, a place online where where people can find excellent Catholic content, right? And not just at SQPN, but SQPN is there to be a resource and a help to other Catholics out there on the Internet trying to produce good content. So uh, it's very important that we uh, support these efforts online. We have to be present there on the digital continent. I contribute every month to SQPN, and I ask you, too, to become a friend. If you're not yet, to become a friend of SQPN.com. So go check out over there. There is a donate button over on the right-hand side at sqpn.com. Please do that today. That would be a a, a big help uh, as we continue, or SQPN continues the giving campaign. So I hope that you have a very happy, holy uh, Thursday, uh, holy Friday, that you have a holy experience tomorrow on Good Friday, and holy Saturday, and a very happy and holy Easter as well. And until next time, bon appétit.